What's up, witches? I'm your host, Emma, and you're listening to the True Crime Witch Podcast, where I'll discuss everything murderous, mysterious, and downright macabre. So, good evening, and welcome to the True Crime Witch Podcast, episode 5, The Doodler, also known as The Black Doodler. So, the Doodler is an unidentified serial killer who operated in San Francisco, in California, in the US. Probably didn't have to tell you that uh, California's in the US, but in case you didn't know. So, um, the Black Doodler operated between January of 1974 and September of 1975. Um, those dates are only um, official recorded victims of the Doodler. There are many other victims that the Doodler is actually, you know, linked to but officially he's you know officially active between these dates so he's also known as the black doodler like i said in the beginning um this is due to his racial profile the fact that he was a black male and um he's known as the doodler because uh, he used to sketch his victims either in an apartment um in a bar you know his victim's apartment um his apartment you know at the bar sort of like as a way to to lure men in and be like, hey, I've been looking at you from across the room, I really like you, I drew this nice picture of you, you know, to bring them in. So the doodler would primarily meet his victims at, you know, local gay bars, um, local gay restaurants, stuff like that. So following the sexual encounters that the doodler and the victims had, the doodler would viciously slay them and stab them. So, like I said, all of his victims were from San Francisco's LGBTQ plus community. It probably wouldn't have been called the LGBTQ plus community at the time, but obviously as times move and change, we become more accepted as the LGBT community. So, um, like I said, he met all of his victims through gay nightclubs, um, bars and restaurants. I know that where I live in Manchester, there's a huge... Uh, it's just called Canal Street, just a huge network of gay bars, like nightclubs, pubs, restaurants, fitness places, like it really is a really nice community where not just the LGBT community can go, but sort of everyone, everyone is accepted. Um, I felt extremely safe and very loved. Um, I would say that definitely the LGBT community and definitely Canal Street is the most accepting friendly place I've ever been to so if you're looking for a great night out, great local drag acts, great local music, go down to Canal Street, you know, treat yourself. So due to the victims being gay men, the police kind of didn't really care, didn't really pay attention at first because of uh, institutionalised homophobia, it goes with the time, it's sad to say but it's what happened. Um, Many of the victims were forced into this feeling of shame because of their status so because a lot of them were people of colour or and or sorry uh, members of the LGBT community they were seen as sort of the less dead um also sex workers also usually fall into this category which um I'm not saying that they're less dead but by society as a whole uh, the media and the police they are usually seen as the less dead if um, you know a missing there's a sex worker who's missing 
it's not treated with such intensity and haste as say perhaps the John Bonnet Ramsey case would strike us because she was this perfect little white girl, you know, with blonde hair and blue eyes and but yeah, I could I could go on all day about institutionalised homophobia and uh, discrimination in reporting of cases. But back to the doodler. So Canadian American Gerald Earl Conovan, I hope I'm saying that right, is believed to be the first victim of the doodler. Conovan was 49 when he was murdered by being stabbed in the front of his body, so most likely I'm guessing the chest, stomach area, which is quite a bad area to get stabbed in, you know. You've got all your vitals hanging around in this area. And his body was found on January 24th, 1974, laying in a subpoena position on Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Um, he was actually fully clothed at the time and had $21.12 in his wallet. So this said a couple of things to police and crimes and investigators. One, he's fully clothed so it doesn't seem sexually motivated. Um, because he had money in his wallet, um, it seems like the murder wasn't like a robbery gone wrong or money wasn't you know the main motive so police were kind of baffled at first as to what had sort of happened so um, he also had defense wounds all over his arms and his hands uh, this is a classic sign that a victim had actually fought back with their attacker before you know before they were killed um, especially if the attacker is using a knife or another object that isn't a gun it's pretty common to see defensive wounds also interesting fact if the uh, attacker is using a knife or a bladed weapon usually what you'll find is that after a couple of blows or stabs to the victim the handle bec will become covered in blood and become quite slick so what can happen is the uh, attacker's hand can s slip from the handle and usually they will probably end up cutting their hands so that's always a good way to tell if someone's you know a, a look at a suspect so uh, anyway the defensive wounds obviously indicated that um, he was conscious during the attack as well he hadn't been drugged he hadn't been you know knocked out with anything I don't believe there was any uh, sign of head trauma so again conscious during the attack sadly um, so the police you know knew that they went drugged and that because he was in such a remote area, his pants were on, he had his wallet, um, it seems quite likely that the victim and the doodler spent time together beforehand and built up an element of trust because otherwise why would you be out at a lake? But anyway, so for a while Conovan actually remained unidentified and he was assigned the identity of John Doe number seven, which I believe in the US is a way that states will, or maybe local counties, will label their John Doe's, you know, one, two, whatever. Um, sometimes John and Jane Doe's are assigned nicknames. Um, usually, first and foremost, they will be assigned a John Doe number, and then maybe you can get a nickname, like there is Lavender Doe, Rainbow Falls Doe, Buckskin Girl, Sam Doe, you know, quite a few nicknames, Septic Sam, Septic Tank Sam is another one that I know of, and he actually
actually remained unidentified for quite a while because obviously he was a single man living away from his family um, you know he was classified as a John Doe it's not surprising that he was classified as a John Doe but that doesn't make it any less sad that he had no friends and no family and no one to come forward to, to claim him and give him his voice back luckily someone did come forward I'm not too sure about the exact details of that but I'm just glad that we could give him his name back. So Joseph J. Stevens was a drag performer and comedian and he actually became the Doodler's next victim and he was discovered by a passerby on Spreckers Lake on June 25th 1974. So Stevens was actually only 27 at the time of his murder and much like Conovan he died shortly before his body was discovered. Um, police even believe that Stevens was actually alive when he was at Spreckles Lake and he'd possibly gone there with his killer. I'm saying killer because I believe at this time he hadn't been given a nickname but I will just refer to him as the Doodler. Um, yeah, they believe that he'd gone there with his Doodler before being murdered and Stevens had been stabbed three times and he had blood around his nose and his mouth which indicated that he'd probably been stabbed in the lungs at least once. Obviously he was, you know, coughing up blood and, you know, from all the other trauma but I believe that must be a sign that they've had trauma, a puncture trauma to the lungs. So Klaus Kreisman was a 31 year old German immigrant who sadly fell victim of the Doodler next. His body was discovered just shy of two weeks after the murder of Stevens on July 7, 1974. So we can really see here that the Doodler is really, really amping things up. You know, it's a couple of months between the first and second victim, so Conovan and Stevens, and then that just jumps to two weeks, which is something that is classic serial killer pathology. Um, if Conovan is even the first victim of the Doodler, like like we said, you know, we don't know how many victims the Doodler actually claimed. It could be 14, it could be 5, it could be in the 50s, but obviously I'm just reporting on what's been officially noted. But yeah, you will see that serial killer pathology, they will have a quick, quicker, quicker succession to their murders and they will get more and more gruesome and more and more violent and the doodler is no exception to this. So Christman's, Christman's, apologies, Christman's body had been severely mutilated and he had over 15 stab wounds and his throat had actually been slit. So like I said before, classic serial killer pathology, you know, it moves from being stabbed, like Stephen's being stabbed three times, to Christman being stabbed 15 times, his throat was slit, he was mutilated, so the, the doodler is really starting to lose his shit here, like he's, he's amping up. So interestingly, Christman was actually married with two children, unlike the previous two victims who were openly gay, Christman was not openly gay, so that's a huge difference, um, but however a tube of face paint was actually found in his pocket, so that led police to believe that he was a member of the LGBTQ plus community. So mainly 
due to attitudes of the time, it was extremely commonplace. I mean, even later, into later years, I guess even now in some countries due to the attitudes. Um, really, really common for bisexual or gay men to marry a woman, have children, and display that normal heterosexual, heteronormative <laughs> life, I guess. You know, you grow up school sweetheart, you marry her, you have kids, blah 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 blah, you know, being gay was not something that is as acceptable as it is now, sadly, and this case, in this case it makes me very angry because a lot of people could have been saved, but due to the way society viewed gay men and the LGBT community, sadly, that was not possible. So, you know, Discussing attitudes of the time, like I've just said, meant it was extremely difficult to be openly gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual, etc. And um, many people would have probably, not probably, they would have been completely outcast from their community, their friends and family would have disowned them, and um, people even faced being killed for who they are. People now still face, you know, being murdered, um, other disgusting attacks just it makes me sad it makes me sad it makes me angry because you know I could go on about this all day but in this case it's extremely sad to see this so the murder of Christman was the murder that finally led police to believe they had a serial killer on their hands so obviously with a serial killer it has to be two or more victims over a stretch period of time say if he killed three people in within a week that would be a spree killer if he killed three people all in one go that's mass murder so just a little bit of a clarification but yeah i do believe that those periods of cooling off as they're called um qualifies him for serial killer and obviously the murders afterwards definitely qualify him for serial so they also finally came to the conclusion, after three murders, that the killer was targeting members of the LGBTQ plus community, so um, this actually gave them a motive and sort of a rough area of, of where he was likely to be operating, sort of a, a bit more information, a bit of a profile about who he was. Maybe he was another openly gay man, he, you know, he could be a, a non-openly gay man, he could be a massive homophobe, who knows. So, the fourth victim of the doodler was 32-year-old Elmer Kappen, whose body was discovered on May 12, 1975. So, the large, there is, this one is different, there is a huge cooling off period. Um, this is about just under a year. Um, like we see with the third and fourth victims, the first three were in pretty quick succession, but this one this one is a large gap so this actually leads me to believe that the doodler maybe was in prison um he just decided to take a break obviously with the announcement that they had figured out there was a serial killer prowling the lgbtq plus community in san francisco you know he decided like look i need to take a break um you know the, the chase is like hot on my tail they're gonna find me you know lay low and then strike again um it's possible that maybe he'd been in hospital like he was ill um i also think that perhaps if he was in the navy 
he could have been assigned somewhere, maybe in the, you know, another place in the country, on another base, he could have been shipped overseas. There, the possibilities are endless because sadly we don't know his identity. So um, all of the theories and rumours that we hear about the doodler, you know, a lot of them don't have circuit, like much substance and answers to them, but rumour and theory is all we have. Um, another theory, another idea to throw out there, is that um, this huge gap, it might not actually be a gap, there might have been other victims in between, but we just haven't officially linked them. You know, um, it's quite unusual that a serial killer will change victim type and their victimology, but it, it's possible. It's possible that he started targeting um, different groups of people or maybe different groups of people that were less, you know, in the less dead category. Maybe he turned to sex workers and police just, you know, couldn't give a shit. You know, dead sex worker, police don't care, especially if they're an ethnic minority and in the LGBT community like come on the police are just gonna be like oh yeah sorry they they ran away it's it's what you see all the time so Capin was found stabbed multiple times and the killing blow was actually made to his aorta which he would be dead within minutes um his body had actually been moved around 20 feet so this suggests that there was either a struggle with his assailant or in his final moments, the killer had attempted to hide his body. Um, both of those theories seem pretty plausible for me. Could be that there was a struggle, um, you know, there was a slash to his aorta and then he tried to crawl away and the killer dragged him back, or that after Capin had died, um, you know, he, he moved his body in an effort to conceal him. I don't see why he would only move it 20 feet away. Maybe he got you know, too spooked or he thought that he was, you know, he was never going to be, like, the captain was never going to be found and that he thought he was amazing like most serial killers do. Um, we, we don't really know. So, um, Capin was actually identified through his fingerprints, thank God. Um, they were on record because he was working as a nurse at the time, so I believe that it's customary in the US to have like every uh, serviceman or woman, so that when I say service I mean public service, so like uh, healthcare, police, fire, etc. Um, they're all on record and he also served in the US Navy and actually gained quite a few medals from the Vietnam War, so he was, he was a decorated soldier. Um, but yeah, I do believe that you probably do get your fingerprints taken in the Navy. Who knows? <laughs> Um, the Doodler's final confirmed victim was 66-year-old Swedish immigrant Harold Goldberg. That is a strong Swedish name, if I ever did see one. Goldberg was way, way older than the Doodler's other victims, which actually confused police for a little bit, and it kind of made them wary of connecting the cases together. You know, you have men in their early to late 20s, so like 20s and 30s, you know, the people who usually do frequent the gay scene and then you get a 66 year old so whether he was a victim um, of circumstance you know he just happened to be in the wrong bar at the wrong time the wrong park at the wrong time or whether the doodler actually turned his attention to older men or maybe um, more vulnerable men would probably be the 
more correct way of saying it, you know, he realised that trying to take on men in their 20s and 30s was a little bit too hard for him, especially if the incident with Capin had been a struggle and the fact that defensive wounds were found on his previous victims, um, he might have actually turned his attentions to older and, and weaker victims, because obviously, you know, if the doodler was in his 20s, 30s, a 66-year-old was probably not going to, you know, be able to put up much of a fight towards uh, a 30-year-old. But anyway, so um, kind of made them, you know, wary of Connect in that case. And his body was found on June 4th, 1975, in Lincoln Park. Not Lincoln Park, the band. Lincoln Park with a, an O-L-N. So his body was actually really badly decomposed and he'd been dead for around two weeks before he was discovered. Um, like Capin, and his throat had been slit and the wound was completely infested with maggots. Um, I'm guessing that well, it's June 4th in San Francisco, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty warm. So uh, decomposition is going to happen pretty rapidly and you are going to get a maggots and a lot of flies especially when it's very warm. Um, so the fact that there were so many maggots in the wound actually kind of helped investigators and the coroner come to the conclusion that Goldberg had actually been dead and exposed to the elements for some time before his discovery. Um, there's forensic, I believe it's forensic entomology which is the study of bugs. I have a degree in forensic science and criminology. I didn't do forensic entomology because I fucking hate bugs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's many, many different ways you can, and then also you can collect the maggots and see how far they've matured and sort of see how long a person's been dead based on you know how old the maggots are, have they started maturing into the final stages before flies, etc. I could, again, do a whole episode about all of the cool things you can identify. Maybe I'll do that in the future if you guys want it. So if you guys want some insider knowledge from a forensic science graduate, drop me a tweet and I can organize that. So this is a strange piece of information about uh, Goldberg. So his underwear had actually been taken by the doodler and his jeans fly had been unzipped. So this said to the police this was a huge indication that the doodler and Goldberg had been together before the murder took place and they most likely engaged in, se in consensual sex. Um, it could have been consensual sex, it could have been non-consensual sex, so rape. Um, I don't know the details but obviously that said to police that was a huge telling factor for police. Um, so sadly he, you know, like many victims before him, Goldberg was unidentified for a period of time and he was actually known as John Doe 81. So I'm guessing maybe he, I don't know how the counties work in San Fran and in California, maybe he'd been in a different district or whatever, but to jump from John Doe 7 to John Doe 81 in a year, that's a lot of John Doe's that you have in your hands, San Fran. So, like I said, the investigation was massively thwarted because three surviving victims who actually, you know, survived being attacked by the doodler 
um, refused to testify. They didn't want to out themselves. Um, they didn't want to become involved in the Doodle investigation. They knew that as soon as they said to police, yeah, sure, I'll become involved in the Doodle investigation, that would out them. The papers would know, you know, all of the court documents, people would see them, and that for them was just far too damaging. That just outweighed the fact that, you know, justice for these these men weighed on their testimony and that's not to victim shame because I can completely understand where they're coming from like it's it is horrific that society and other people made these men feel so ashamed and scared that they couldn't testify in a case you know and they couldn't get justice not only for themselves but for the men who had been murdered by the doodler it, it, it really is a shame for me. San Francisco politician Harvey Milk actually estimated that only between 20 and 25% of the LGBTQ population in San Francisco um, were out and proud at that time, if that makes sense. If, you know, they were openly gay, bisexual, lesbian, trans, etc. Um, that was about 85,000 people in 1977, so you can imagine that there would be, uh, there are so many more people, I'm guessing, in the LGBT community who pro probably never brought themselves forward. So I'm guessing that 85,000 is probably a lot, lot higher than uh, Harvey Milk in, you know, estimates. So, like I said, like I've mentioned before, many people in the LGBTQ community um, had to keep their sexual identity a secret, um, they had to lead sort of normal, unassuming lives to get married, have children, whether that was male or female, you know, people, uh, trans people couldn't, you know, um, change the gender, they couldn't, you know, become the gender they actually were, they had to keep all of this a secret and that, that's hard, that's really hard to hear that these people were denied who they were and denied the love you know, denied the right to love another, you know, another person because, oh well, you're a man and the other person's a man, so you you two can't be together and you two can't love each other. That's it's really heartbreaking. That I can just imagine how many couples that affected. You know, it makes me sad and angry, and this is why pride is so important. So. Sadly, this fact actually also prevented loads of witnesses from coming forward. You know, in fear of being outcast by their family, the rest of society. If a witness came forward and said, Oh, well actually, yeah, I saw the doodler with um, one of the victims. He looked like this and I overheard the conversation and they said they were going here, here and here. Um, it would kind of be a, well, why were you in a gay club? Why were you in a gay restaurant? Why were you in an establishment that associates itself with the gay community? So, um, again, this case is just riddled with social inequality and social injustice. And it's not fair. It really isn't fair. But we have to work with what we have. Um, interestingly, San Francisco police did have a suspect in custody. Um, they said that he was extremely cooperative. You know, he answered all the questions, didn't really put up much of a fuss or a fight, um, but he just never confessed guilt for the doodler murders. So, you know, 
we don't know if it was him, if it wasn't him, who knows. Um, he was obviously never taken to trial because his remaining or surviving victims um, just refused to testify against him, again, because of all the reasons I've stated above, which I kind of believe it could have helped to bring an end to the, the Doodler murders, but I'm not blaming these people who didn't want to testify or didn't want to come forward, that's not their fault. Um, but it just is what it is, I guess. So, San Francisco police actually believe, even to this day, that the man they took in for questioning and almost got sent to trial um, is the man responsible for the Doodler murders. Um, since, obviously, he was never actually tried or taken to court, his name and identity have been kept a complete secret. They're a complete mystery. We don't even have, you know, oh, he was held in, in connection over this. We have no idea. So he could be anyone. If he's still alive, he could be living next door to you. He could be babysitting your kids. He could be your uncle, your dad. He could be absolutely anyone. And that's, that's a scary thought that he's walking around there, a free man, and that his victims will never see justice. Well, hopefully his victims will see justice. We can only hope. So, um, because of the nature of this crime, there's just really no information about this case. There's obviously the, the basics around the victims and how they were found and stuff like that. But apart from that, we don't really know all that much. So, a sort of light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. Uh, in May 2018, San Francisco police decided to reopen the case and guessing with their cold cases unit and they reopened it in hopes that advances in DNA would actually allow them to finally solve the case of the Doodler. So I'm hoping that genealogy, <laughs> um, you know, advances in forensic DNA testing, I know that uh, DNA testing and PCR takes a lifetime. So, you know, when you see those films like CSI's and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll put the DNA in, do, 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 do. And like, oh yeah, we got a hit in five minutes. That's not how it works. That's really, really not how it works. I wish it did. But uh, to all my fellow lab technicians and uh, fellow science friends out there, what's up? <laughs> you will know the struggles of people thinking that like, oh, well, can't you just, can't you just run this and this system is like, well, that's... That's not how it works, you know, you have to run so many different methods and like maybe one method will take eight hours because you have to run sequences and do all your like sequential dilutions and I understand the pain. I get it. <laughs> um, so in February of this year, so 2019 in case you're listening in the future, hello, um, San Francisco police offered a $100,000 reward to anyone who could provide them with information that led them to the doodler. So here is a description of the doodler. So the doodler is described as a six foot tall African American with a slim build. He often wore a navy cap which um, led police to believe that he was in, in the navy. Um, they also released that the doodler often liked to prey on out of town visitors or maybe immigrants. Um, people who are just new to the area, so that kind of links in with the the older, vulnerable people. Maybe people who've moved there for retirement, you know, they've lived 
married for their whole lives, got divorced and finally were able to live who they were. People who were running away to San Francisco because despite all of what I've said, San Francisco for the time was quite an LGBT friendly um, place to be. I know that's shocking considering the circumstances but this is what was classed as LGBT friendly. Um, so many people would run away so you know because they've been outcast and thrown up by their family or whatever they run away to San Fran to finally be free and live outside of society's bullshit heteronormative boundaries but what else um so yeah like I said out of town visitors etc be easier to lure them into a trap you know you're in a new area a an attractive guy comes up to you you're in a gay club oh hey I drew this picture of you I think you're so gorgeous etc whatever let me show you around let me take you to this bar let me take you to my apartment and then sadly that is how victims are gained so one of the doodless survivor victims was a European diplomat don't know which country in Europe whether they're talking about Europe as you know the the continent place or whether they're talking about Europe as like the economic EU don't know could be anywhere um, he was actually in San Francisco on business so the doodler and the diplomat went back to the diplomat's apartment that I'm guessing that he was uh, you know renting or staying in as, as part of you know giving through work um, they actually went there with plans to engage in consensual sex so completely consensual, safe, all fine, that's all good, that's fine by me and the doodler actually stabbed the diplomat six times before he ran out of the apartment so um, the diplomat was able to survive, he managed to survive that attack but sadly he, he didn't come forward, he didn't want to testify and come forward so I'm guessing that he would have risked his political career if people had found out that he was gay he more than likely would have lost his job you know his whole career and everything would have been in total shambles he would have lost all credibility which is incredibly sad because like I said he deserved justice too as well as the victims that were murdered the, the diplomat who was attacked deserved justice for what happened to him and that wasn't you know no one could give it to him because there was so much that he had at risk sadly society sucks um so all in all the doodler actually has five confirmed victims all of which i've gone over but is suspected of being responsible for 14 different attacks um he has three surviving victims out of those 14 attacks so it's actually speculated that these numbers are way 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 higher and we just don't know about them yet people just haven't come forward perhaps victims have you know passed on naturally or in old age through disease etc whatever and they just took that secret to their grave which is very sad so i personally believe that i have like two main theories working here so the doodler was a closeted angry man he was closeted he couldn't come out he was angry at the gay community he was so angry that these men were out there living their lives being who they were living their truth you know they were openly out and gay having a great time 
having um, sex with other men, you know, they're having relationships, and this, you know, the doodler, whoever he was, was so angry that he couldn't do that. He felt that that wasn't an acceptable lifestyle for him, you know, through maybe his family, maybe he was religious, maybe uh, work or a community or whatever, you know, it just wasn't something that was possible for him. So in retaliation to this anger, he struck out and killed the gay community. Essentially, I say this is him killing a part of himself, is that if he kills gay men, he's killing that part of himself that is gay, and he's killing, he's directing his anger, like projecting it out, because he's angry that he is not allowed to be openly gay. So I think maybe he feels like if he kills gay men, that he'll no longer be gay, which isn't true, because that's, that's how you're born afraid well I'm not afraid <laughs> about that ain't nothing wrong with being gay but like I'm saying um, it's not something that you can change that's just how you're born but again his projection and I'm guessing that if that is the case he was a closeted angry gay man um, I'm guessing he would have probably been brainwashed for his whole entire life that being gay is wrong the LGBT community are disgusting they're devils whatever especially if he was religious like gay people are gonna burn in hell or whatever you know he's he's brainwashed and he's so conflicted over what to do because deep down inside of him he knows that that's who he is but this conditioning is taking over and saying you know this is wrong um my other theory is that he was in the navy quite a few of his victims were also naval officers so that might be the common connection between them both um, obviously he wore a navy cap so maybe he'd been discharged from the navy um, possibly because of his sexuality I know that in the navy being gay even in the armed forces being gay is not looked upon too kindly um, so maybe he gets discharged from being gay and then he strikes out at the gay community because he just lost everything that he built you know built for himself he might have been maybe a high-ranking officer or something like that um, you know, then he just, like before, projects his anger out because he, this community made me lose everything. But he was obviously directing his anger towards the wrong place. And obviously the connection with a few of his victims being Navy officers, maybe they knew each other or that was the chat up line. That was the angle he was going for. He was like, oh hey, you know, I'm wearing a Navy cap. You are a Navy or ex-Navy yourself you know that, that common connection so if you have any information regarding the doodler case please you are absolutely urged to contact the san francisco police department on 14155754444 or you can text a tip to tip411 and you can absolutely remain anonymous for both of those lines you do not have to give a name a detail a date of birth anything so if you have any information please come forward if you are a victim please come forward get the justice that you deserve and get the justice for those who no longer have a voice so that is today's case thank you so much for listening stay safe and stay spooky